We're going to be timely today. As we're recording it, the Tampa Bay Rays are 10-0, and 0, and we have their general manager, Peter Bendix. Yeah, I mean, this I always do my mea culpa on the Rays uh, once a year. This is going to be a season-long thing for me if this keeps up. I mean, they are terrific to have a $62 million payroll, not only be 10-0, and 0, but to have a plus 58 run differential and have scored – you know, 76 runs and giving up 18 through 10 games. Incredible job by them. And I'm anxious to hear how he says that they are able to do this because I obviously have not figured it out. Maybe you want me a mea culpa, right? I think the last time a team won 10 to open the season were the Brewers in 87, got to 13, didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, six teams didn't make it in each league back then. The Brewers weren't even in the same league they're in now. Well, we'll talk to Peter Bendix about their great start, how they're doing it, if they're going to keep it up, if it's the competition. Harold Reynolds will join us uh, to talk baseball, but mainly it's the 76th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color line. And uh, uh, Harold is doing a show from the Jackie Robinson Museum on Friday. We'll talk all about that. John and I will play Hit and Error. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, we're trying something I don't think we've done before, John, which is have somebody leading off. Uh, I bet you Harold Reynolds has led off a lot in his career. Uh, He's our friend and one of the uh, main faces at the network where we work, MLB Network. Harold, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Guys, thank you. You know, the thing about leading off, Joel, um, the first time I really led off in the big leagues, I was playing for Dick Williams. You both know who Dick is, probably covered him grouchy all can be and it's opening day in anaheim now i've gone through spring training had a great spring but now he's gonna lead me off instead of hitting me ninth like i did the year before and i and i'm taking bp and he's standing over the cage he goes hey ozzy he's talking to ozzy virgil this is our leadoff guy and he's saying it so i can hear it i'm taking swings i'm hitting and he goes it's gonna be a long year ozzy long <laughs> year <laughs> Uh, Harold, we we should mention one of the main reasons we want you on 76th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color uh, barrier, uh, April 15th, uh, 1947. Uh, You will be at the Jackie Robinson Museum on Friday. We're going to talk about that uh, and what a special day it is, not just for baseball, but in America. But why don't we start with obviously the biggest story in the sport globally right now is about the new rules. And you were mentioning like a grouch like Dick Williams. I wonder if you were on a team right now and there were still players moaning about this, which there are, what would you do? Um, I I would just say, look at the difference. It's working. You know, I I mean, 
that's a tough question to try to put myself in the player mode because I, I didn't complain a whole lot. I kind of knew, and I was always the guy people would come and say certain things to, and I'd have to give them a different spin on it, but it's not going away. It's This is it. It's here to stay. There's so many benefits that are happening in the sport. So if you look at it as an overall picture, it's going to be great. Are there adjustments? Absolutely. I guess I can go this way. The only thing I can liken it to when I was playing, and you both were covering the sport, was the Bach rule. Remember when that one spring when there, everything was a Bach? They didn't have a discernible stop. Bach, Bach, Bach. And everybody was up in arms about it. And they made adjustments. And so that happens. You're going to have to adjust. We adjusted. The umpires adjusted. And the rules adjusted a little bit. You know, when these rules came about, at least I thought that the big difference was going to be the shift, the banning of the shift. And, you know, obviously over the season, there'll be subtle differences, but it's been all about the clock. Can you believe the hubbub that this has created? Uh, So many players are having so many issues with this clock. It worked in the minor leagues. Why? And I, I think ultimately it's great. Why are so many of these players having so much difficulty adjusting to the clock? Well, I think the loudest voices are having difficulty. Um, There's not that many players having difficulty. Our league is young. And like you said, they all played with it in the minor leagues. The old veteran guys are complaining. They're having problems with it. And if you look at the timing of it, most of the guys missed the WBC, went to WBC. So they missed about two weeks of the implementation of this whole thing. Guys who had a long spring training are not struggling with it. It's the players that left, came back, and all of a sudden the game was really fast. And I get it. You know, you you, you get set in your habits and, and your ways, but it's the loudest voices complaining. If you look at a clubhouse and you really took a real appeal of it, 20 of the 25 guys are going to say, I love it, or 26-man roster. They're going to say, I love it, because most of them have grown up with it. And so I don't think it's as many complaints as maybe the louder voices are complaining. Yeah, you know, if we had social media in 1954, George Mikan and Dolph Shays would have gone on, uh, you know, Twitter and complained about the 24-second clock in the NBA. I think I think the, we always hear from the loud and the overprivileged. Uh, John mentioned the shift and the pitch clock. I'm wondering if one of the bigger changes is we're just seeing more stolen bases, something you did a lot in your career, Harold, at a much higher percentage. And, I, and, and teams are kind of like able to scout out better who they could steal on and when. I wonder what you mean, You think that means for the game moving forward. Well, I, I love where the game is at. Um, it is fast. I went to opening day for the Mets opener. I've been watching games on TV. It's nothing like being in the ballpark. It is, I mean, it is quick. And so when I'm figuring out cadences of pitchers and when they're going to deliver, things like that, it's a huge advantage for base runners. When you say you can only throw over twice, I thought that would be the huge advantage. But really, it's the timing of pitchers. They're thinking about the clock. They're thinking about delivering a pitch, and they're not holding runners. And now those are the guys that are getting, you know, guys are getting great jumps on. They're running. And it's just new. We've had 10, 12 years where guys would just sat there and did whatever they want to do, and nobody ran. So now all of a sudden they're running. And it's just a whole different mindset to the game. And then everything's speeding up for everybody. And so it's exciting to see. There will be a settling down process. But right now, it's it, I love the sporadicness of it. 
Now, how many bases would you steal now with these new rules? And didn't wasn't there a story where you didn't you beat Ricky Anderson? Was it Ricky Anderson one year you beat? Yeah. Yeah. What happened there? I love that story. <laughs> well, Ricky came out already and said he would add what another 80 bases to his season. So he's looking at 200 stolen bases in a season. Uh, I don't know if the numbers are that dramatic, but I do think you'd run a lot more. You know, Harold, the other big story uh, to open this season and our, our guest after you uh, is Peter Bendix, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay has jumped out to a 10-0 start here. And I think at some point we probably have to stop being surprised by the Tampa Bay Rays. And yet I'll ask this question. Are you surprised by the Tampa Bay Rays? Uh, every year I'm surprised. Every year, I don't pick them to win the division. Every year, they go out and do what they're doing. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, they haven't played a really fair, tough schedule. They played some teams. I don't care if it's Little League at the park down the street. To win 10 games in a row, the way they're winning it, is very difficult to do. you got to give them all the credit in the world. But the one thing about Tampa, it seems like they're always reinventing. They're ahead of the curve of the league. You know, one year, it's like we're going to walk more than anybody. Uh, we're looking for players that do that. Then it's going to be, we're going to bullpen. We're going to have an opener. We're going to do this. Now they got great start in pitching. Uh, they've got athletes all over the field, all over the diamond. Um, they seem to be able to figure out who they want to be before everybody else figures out who they are, if that makes sense. They know who they want to be before the other teams figure out who they absolutely are themselves. And Tampa's out doing it and beating them up. Harold, obviously we have you on partly for your vast baseball knowledge, but certainly the timing of Jackie Robinson's 76th anniversary of breaking the color barrier, April 15th, and you are going to be broadcasting the MLB Now show uh, this Friday. I mean, Jackie Robinson, I mean, I've got to ask you, what did he mean to you growing up? What, do you, what does he mean to you now? He's obviously more than just a great baseball player and the guy who broke the color barrier. Yeah, I, I get a chance. I, I got a chance the other day to go down to the Jackie Robinson Museum, not too far from Joel's home right there in, uh, in, in New York, but it's like 75th and Barrack. You get a chance to go there. Incredible. And I thought I knew a lot about Jackie Robinson. Uh, Rachel, his wife, saved everything. They have letters, handwritten letters of him, presidential things that he received from presidents, um, his army uniform, the real one that he wore his first jersey he wore in the big leagues and even in the Negro leagues. I mean, she kept everything. The artifacts are amazing. But the story of Jackie Robinson, he's an American hero. And it really takes you into seeing him play football, basketball, baseball, track at UCLA. You see that and from Pasadena City on. And then you see his war days and, and you see him after with civil rights movement. He's just a powerful figure. So, um, you see all that at the museum. As a kid growing up, I knew a little bit about Jackie Robinson, but I didn't know what I've learned since I've been an adult, so to speak. And I remember this, and I'll, I'll end it with this and throw it back to you, Joel. Uh, John, thanks for the question. But um, I was playing in Seattle, and Dave Henderson, who you guys all covered, um, wore number 42 all the time. And one day I'm out there, and I'm just a rookie. I'm a young kid, and I go, Dave, You've been in the big leagues for a few years now. Why don't you get a real number? Because they used to give us like 62 and 50, and he's wearing 42. And he goes, real number? This is Jackie Robinson's number, man. 
I didn't know he was number 42. That was the first time that I knew about 42, and Dave kind of educated me on that. I hate to play the uh, school marm here who does corrections, just so we get it right. Not MLB now, MLB tonight, 6 p.m. on Friday night with your co-host, Adam and Verk. You're together now. That That's your show. And nobody go uptown. You said 75th and Verk. It's 75 Verk. It's downtown near the Holland Tunnel for anyone who wants. Oh, 75 Verk, uh, yes. 75 Verk. Just just because people should vi vi visit that, that museum. And people should watch your show that night, Harold. Not just, look, we work at the network. It's easy for us to say that. But... You're flying out to Chicago to talk to Denzel Washington for this show. I believe Charles Barkley is going to uh, like zoom in and be part of the show that night. It's a special night. You mentioned 42. It's a special day in baseball. Every player wears 42 uh, in Dodger blue now. And look, I'll ask the kind of tough question as we wrap up with you, Harold, because you're involved with the draft also. And I, I know as your colleague how much you love the game. We began a season again this year with 7% American Black representation in the major leagues. It's been pretty static there. It's been pretty clear if you've been following the draft that the numbers are changing in the draft. Are we going to see a bounce back where the, uh, the, the American Black player begins to play baseball again at a higher level than we're seeing it now? Yeah, I do. And I'll kind of start it and, and bring it to this. The new rules are going to make that happen. You, we're, we're looking at a shift. We're looking at guys now where the game is moving at a faster pace. So that calls for athletes. We've eliminated the shift. You're now standing with two guys in the infield. You have to cover the outfield grass. It, it, it is fantastic for the African-American athlete. I think you'll see that. And to your point, Joel, the draft is starting to infuse these young kids already. They're playing at the younger levels. The numbers are getting bigger every year. They just haven't got to the top yet. And I think in the next five years, we're going to see a huge infusion of young, talented African-American players that are going to be playing in the big leagues. So uh, if, if there's more in the pipeline, obviously there's more that have to come out of that pipeline to the big leagues. And that's that's what's happening right now. I'm excited about it. Well, Harold, uh, we're excited about it also. 6 p.m. MLB Network, you and Adnan and Verk. Friday, April 15th. It's the 76th anniversary of Jackie. Of, you mentioned it before, an American hero, not just a sports hero, Jackie Robinson Day, all around the major leagues. You'll be interviewing Denzel Washington, Charles Barkley, and we're so happy we got to interview you, Harold, our colleague and friend. Thank you so much for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayden. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman and our guest this week. Uh, I don't, John, I don't think we've ever had a more timely guest than we're going to have this week. We have the general manager of the 10 and 0 Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, we have to play the evergreen game. Who knows when you listen to this, they might be 20 and 0, et cetera. But as we're taping today, uh, Peter Bendix, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays who joins us, his team is 10 and 0. And Peter, I, I, I want to start with a macro question. Uh, obviously, you're 10-0 now, but you've got the fourth best record in the sport over the last five years. This isn't a new thing. And I just, we have such a little audience. Why don't you tell us, what's the secret sauce? Why do you guys keep reimagining and recreating yourself and end up with a small payroll as good as you are year to year? I, I wish I could tell you there was some secret sauce, but there there really isn't. It's uh, having a lot of talent and putting it in a position to succeed. And I think that's something that our organization, our coaching staff, our manager does extremely well, which is understand players' strength, communicate that strength to the player so that he understands his strength and he might be able to double down on that strength and then put him in a position to succeed. We try not to overtax guys. We try not to ask too much of them. We know what guys are good at and we try to allow them to go out there and do that be themselves and that allows them to be the best version of themselves and i think the culture that we've created here where you don't have to worry too much about a lot of distractions you don't have to worry about being asked to do something that you might not be able to do it allows people to kind of be more free and really get the most out of themselves you you outplay your uh, payroll and the expectations every year but this year, 10 and 0, that's a first. And uh, I mean, first team since the Milwaukee Brewers 1987 to start 10 and 0. What did you think in spring training this year? I know you were uprooted in spring training. I didn't get to see you, but you were uprooted. I'm thinking that's not a good thing. Um, what did you expect coming into this season? Once again, I predicted you guys out of the playoffs, and I'm consistently wrong about the Rays. Where did I go wrong? And did you expect this to be a great team? Well, it's still early, right? So your your prediction isn't wrong yet. But we did. We have high expectations for our club this year. And we our spring training was unusual. It's been unusual for the last few years. So I would guess to say unusual is our, our new normal. And um, we were able to stay focused. We were able to stay, keep our eye on the task at hand. We spent two weeks over at Disney. Um, that was actually a really good experience. And then we spent a month of our spring training at Tropicana Field, out of the same clubhouse, the same field that we played during the regular season. And as strange as that was during spring training, I think it was also helpful because you get used to the surroundings that you're going to be in during the regular season. And we made a point of trying to allow everybody to be as comfortable as they could as quickly as possible. We had very little roster turnover. Our 26 man roster consists of two new players. Everybody else was with us last year. That's really unusual for most teams. It's especially unusual for us. And having had that group together last year, having had a lot of these players really for a few years now, going through the ups and downs, having success, having disappointments, making the postseason, not being able to go too deep into the postseason, and just being such a young team, they grow together. They grow closer. They grow individually as players, as people. And that kind of camaraderie and that closeness showed even throughout spring training. And so to translate it into the season with 10 wins to start, it, it really helps everybody grow even closer. 
You know, Peter, you helped kind of bridge right to the what, one of the things I wanted to ask. You mentioned that there hasn't been a lot of changeover in your roster from 2022 to 2023. When I looked at your roster yesterday, literally everyone who's played this year is between ages 22 and 31. You've signed some players now to longer term contracts, notably your best player, Wanda Franco. Is this a plan to have prime age players and actually have the Tampa Bay Rays stay kind of consistent for a few years where this is your team now moving forward in the short term? We would love for that to be able to happen. You know, we think there is real value in that consistency and that camaraderie that comes from it. There's challenges to building a team and trying to keep that team together when you have, you know, the resources that we have and, and the payroll that we have. And so our goal is to put a competitive team out there as many seasons as we possibly can to win as many world series as possible, but to do so by ideally not going through a stretch where we have to, you know, go into a season thinking we don't have a chance to make the playoffs. If that happens, that happens, but we try to put a competitive team out there for as many seasons as we can and sometimes that means there's roster turnover. Sometimes it means there isn't. If we had the choice, we would rather have the group together, especially, like you said, when it consists of young players and such such a talented group. You seem to only make good decisions. You know, I wondered when you signed Zach Eflin because he, he'd been, you know, been a starter, he'd been a reliever, but he'd basically been an average pitcher uh, throughout his career. And you signed him for three years, 40 million, I think, which is probably the highest in your history. You weren't alone there. I think the Red Sox offered the same. Uh, and right now your rotation uh, looks incredible. Uh, what did you see in him? Why were you guys willing to spend 40 million? That's a lot of money, $13 million a year for a team that's got a $62 million payroll. Well, I can rattle off a list of bad decisions that we've made, but I don't want to get into that here. But uh, we we saw in Zach somebody who hadn't yet put all of it together, the health and the performance, but somebody who had all of the ingredients and really what we're trying to you know predict is the future rather than what has happened in the past. And so we see with him somebody that we don't need a makeover. We don't need him to come in and be a radically different person. We just need him to come in, throw strikes, maybe a few refinements here or there, stay healthy and just have that lane, that opportunity that he hasn't maybe had over the last few years due to just circumstance and injury. And with a pitcher, the injury risk is always high. That's the nature of pitching. And we know what Zach's history is. We know there's there's a risk there, but we have a lot of confidence in our medical staff. We have had a lot of success over the last couple of years keeping pitchers who had injury risk healthy. We had, you know, Charlie Morton, we had Michael Waka, Rich Hill, Corey Kluber. That doesn't guarantee anything, but our medical staff and their track record is second to none. And so I think that was appealing to Zach. That's certainly appealing to us. If Zach can stay healthy, he doesn't have to pitch 200 innings, right? If he can stay healthy for the majority of the season, take the ball kind of every fifth day the way that some of those other older pitchers were able to do so, we think the talent is there for him to be a, a top-tier pitcher. You know, on this uh, show, Peter, I often play the bad cop. So I, I could point out that, you know, you traded Jay Cronenworth, you traded Joe Ryan for Nelson Cruz. It's not all perfect, John. They, they The overall has been great. So I guess I'll play the the heavy here also and ask kind of the, the the question that has hung over your great start. Are you really good or is the competition just terrible? Uh, you've opened against Detroit, Oakland, Washington, and one game against Boston. 
Let's take Boston out of it, though. We, the general expectation is they're not going to be very good this year. The other three teams are supposed to be, my word, Peter, dreadful. Uh, and you did what you should do. You stomped them. Are you really good, or is the bottom of the sport as bad as it's ever been? You can only play the schedule in front of you. It's a cliche, but it's true. And everybody's going to play everybody this year, right? This is the most balanced schedule that we've had in a generation. And so we're going to have the most the most fair. We're still going to be playing the AL East a lot, but the most fair schedule that we've had for 20 years, whatever it is. And it just so happens that these are the teams that we're facing at the beginning of the season. That means an, another point in the season, we're going to be facing other teams. You can only play the, the teams in front of you, though. Does this schedule benefit the Rays in that you do play six fewer games ultimately against teams like the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox? Is this something you guys pushed for over time and does it work for you in a better way? Well, it's not something we pushed or didn't push for, but I do think it benefits us at least in the, in the near term. But we know that AL East is always going to be incredibly competitive. And so it's to our advantage, I think, to probably have fewer games against those teams. Now, they also have fewer games against each other, right? But I just think from a, a larger standpoint, the concept of getting to see every team every year from a fan standpoint, for the good of baseball, everybody's going to see Otani and Trout every year now, right? Everyone's going to see Juan Soto. Everyone's going to see Mookie Betts. I think that's both more fair from a competitive standpoint, but also just good for the sport. And anything that's good for the sport is good for the Rays. Good job handling the bad cop there, Peter. Very nice. Uh, here's the new boast in baseball that I heard very recently from an owner of another team. We're not afraid to trade with the Rays. You know, you don't hear that boast about any other team, but your team. Do you find that when you guys call up to make a trade, uh, are people hanging up with you immediately or not really having the courage to make deals with you? Because Frankly, I know you've said that uh, there were some bad deals, and uh, I know that nobody's perfect. By and large, your deals have been very good. Well, it takes two to make a trade, right? And in, in every trade that we are making, we are attempting to make the other side just as happy as us. Otherwise, they're not going to say yes to a trade. And a lot of trades come together when there's not necessarily that much of a difference of opinion on the players, but a difference in the circumstances. So, you know, we make trades when um, we traded away Chris Archer when we weren't very good, right? And so we were trading away somebody that we thought was a really good pitcher at the time. And we were getting players that we thought could help us in the future. Um, we make trades like that more frequently, I think, than an average team where we're trading away someone who might be really good now for wins in the future. I think we're starting to see some of the benefits of having made some of those trades a few years ago. But generally speaking, if the other team is unhappy about the trade that they made with us, then they don't want to make a trade with us again in the future. And that doesn't benefit us. Same thing if we're unhappy about a trade we make with another team, that doesn't benefit the other team. You really do need two sides to be happy to make that trade. And ultimately for us, if the players that we acquire do what we want them to do, perform in the way that we want, fit on the club in the way that we're hoping for, then that's a win for us. It doesn't really matter what we traded away. We're not looking to trade away bad players. We want to trade something that the other team also wants, as long as what we're getting on our end meets our needs too. Well, that, that was very nice, and I, I do believe you, but I'm glad you brought up the Archer trade. I mean, when that trade was made, I don't think there was anybody on earth that thought that was an even trade. I mean, 
how did you guys feel now? Now, obviously, not all the players have turned out yet. Glass now, I think, very talented. You still have him in your employee. He may be very good for you. Obviously, Austin Meadows, we know of the issues he's had now in Detroit. You got Shane Baz as well. Uh, I mean, when you made that trade, did you did you really think you were helping Pittsburgh out too? I mean, everybody else thought that trade was very, very lopsided. At the time of the trade, Chris Archer and by our information was a top tier starter with multiple years left on his contract. And we thought he was really, really good, really, really valuable. And we obviously liked the players that we got in return, but all three of those players had risk and we're seeing that risk, right? Tyler Glasnow has been hurt. Austin Meadows has had, he's had injury concerns as well. uh, Even before what's happening with him now with the anxiety, Shane Boz is currently hurt. Um, so a lot of that, there, there's risk there. Obviously, that did play out well for us. But at the time of that trade, we also we re- we were really high on Chris Archer. In a classic Tampa style, you're leaving out something. You spun Austin Meadows into your starting third baseman now, right, uh, uh, Isaac Paredes. Uh, so uh, you, this is something you do. You, you don't get caught with things. You are able to spin out of it. I wasn't going to ask this, but just because we've been on this a little bit, uh, glass now. Obviously, you're pitching well out of the rotation without somebody we assume was going to pitch towards the top of it. Can you give us a timeline where you think he is and what you think he brings to you this season? Yeah, he's he's progressing well. An oblique injury that has a fairly standard timeline, but you really don't want to rush and, and set it back. So we don't have an exact date. I think he'll be out on the mound soon and look to get him into games not too long after that. I, I would hope at some point in the month of May he's back. Um, which is pretty consistent with the timeline that we had when he originally got hurt. When he is healthy, though, he is as dominant as anybody in the game. We saw it down the stretch last year. That might have been the best version of himself, um, having come back from Tommy John and really felt healthy for the first time in a few years. And he has developed his command along the way. He is overpowering. He really knows what he's doing out there on the mound. When he's throwing strikes, we saw it in a few starts at the end of last season in the postseason he's he's as good as anybody in baseball and so it's tantalizing to have him you know have him hurt currently and know that he's going to be joining us at some point but just trying to be really careful not to rush that and your whole rotation looks really terrific right now McClanahan is established as an ace what about the other guys I mean Springs he seems like would come out of nowhere what did did you guys see in him uh Rasmussen uh, that was one trade I thought you they probably got the better of you for a while. Now you you're looking pretty good on that one as well. Tell me about those two pitchers. Springs. Um, he's an incredible story, right? He's DFA'd twice reliever had difficulty in the big leagues. We acquired him um, a couple of years ago. We used him as a reliever last season. He was a reliever for us at the beginning of the season. We had a ton of injuries at the beginning of the year and we ended up adding a few innings to him slowly over the course of the season, really out of necessity at first. We needed somebody to cover innings. We were running out of pitchers. And he all he did was kept pitching really well. And as we added innings to him, he just kept handling it really, really well to the point where we said, you know, why stop at two? Why stop at three innings? Let's see if he can handle all the way to four or five. He responded fantastically both in performance and in health all along the way. And so this offseason, this was his first full offseason as a major league starting pitcher. And I think, you know, he signed a contract extension. He understood what he needed to do to prepare for a full season as a starter for the first time, really, in his professional career. And he came into spring training and he was 
absolutely locked in. Just from day one, it looked like he was facing high school hitters in spring training, just carving them up. And he's continued that into the regular season. His command is fantastic. He can spot the fastball anywhere he wants. He added another breaking ball. So he now has two breaking balls, a, a shorter one and a bigger one. And his changeup is as good of a changeup as I think you're going to see across baseball. So he he really is an ace in the making. And he's unheralded, but the way that he's pitching, I think he's going to become a, a much better known name pretty soon. Peter, can you give us some insight? You know, John pointed out these were not, you know, the, the spring trade is a minor trade. Uh, the Willie Adamas trade obviously is a bigger one than that. But you're getting to some degree unheralded pitcher, pitchers and they're developing into top of the rotation type players for you. What do you value and what are you refining once they get to you to get this level of production? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, the Willie Adamas trade, John. I know you referred to that as well. That's a great example of a trade that I think we're thrilled to make. We loved Willie. He that Trading Willie away was one of the hardest personal trades that we've made just because of who Willie is as a person. And, you know, we had more infielders than we needed. We had Wanda Franco knocking on the door and we needed pitching. And so as a result, I think, I hope the Brewers are also really happy with that trade and what Willie has done for them. And we're happy to, because we want Willie to succeed. And we're very happy about the, about Drew Rasmussen coming back. Um, in terms of your question, Joel, about just our pitching generally, I think one of the things that I'm really proud of that our coaching staff does incredibly well is we put players in position to succeed and we tell them why we think they're good. And as soon as they begin to understand, oh, this is what the Rays see in me, I think it helps with their confidence. I think it helps with their buy-in. We're not asking them to go do something different than, than they're able to do. We're telling them, hey, this is what you're good at. You're a major leaguer for a reason. You're We traded for you for a reason, so go do this and double down on that and have confidence in yourself because we have confidence in you. Kyle Snyder, our pitching coach, our entire pitching department, they are second to none in instilling that confidence in players and really helping them understand why they're good. Players seem to play better for your team. Um, is it something that you guys are cognizant of and do something for that allows this? Or, I mean, Tampa Bay is not a really small market, but it is not really a media market. You don't really have much media around. Is that an aid to the players? I mean, Carl Crawford is the, probably the most obvious example of this where he was a superstar for you and he, he was a fine player, uh, you know, after he left you, but was not the same player, but there are many, many examples of this. Uh, is it something you do or is it the market? I don't know exactly. I know that uh, the culture that we've created that really started back with Joe Madden, the culture is one without distractions and I think Joe created his version of that culture, which was incredibly successful. Kevin Cash put his own personal spin on that culture and really kept it kept it moving forward. But the idea is to eliminate distractions and allow guys to play with freedom. And that's oftentimes a lot easier said than done. But the, the fact that our coaching staff is able to allow guys to have this freedom while also holding them accountable that to me is the sign of a great manager to the sign of a great coaching staff 
and it allows players to get the most out of themselves, whatever that might mean for any individual, right? Each of these guys are different. What one guy needs is not what the next guy needs. And to understand which of these guys need to be told, you're okay, go do your thing, and which of them need to be really held to a really high account level of accountability on a day-to-day and really apply that individually to each player, I think that helps get the most out of them. You know, Peter, I wonder if we didn't, if we buried the lead a little at the top and didn't give you enough bouquets. You know, it's a fur again, when we're talking, uh, it's the seventh time in history team has started 10 and 0. Uh, you've outscored your opposition 76 to 18. That run differential uh, of plus 58 is the best in the modern game through uh, 10 games in the, in the season. We've talked a lot about your pitching. It's got a 170 ERA. You've thrown shutouts the last three games. Uh, when we've spoken to you, I want to talk about the other side of the ball here. You're hitting home runs. You've hit the most home runs, but you've done something very untampa-like so far. You haven't struck out a whole lot. Is that competition, or uh, have you done some retraining where your players are putting the ball in play more because you see value in? We have a lot of really talented hitters, and a lot of those hitters are also guys who don't strike out that often. And I think, you know, strikeouts are not something we're looking for. There are players in the game who are really good and also strike out a lot. Would love for those players to be raised, right? There's nothing against strikeouts per se. But generally speaking, the best hitters tend to have lower strikeout rates. And we've uh, been able to kind of collect players slowly but surely that are really talented hitters. And we're seeing some of our stars really play like stars, right? Wander Franco, he is a superstar. And we are really seeing that come. Randy Arozarena, he is a superstar. And we're seeing the consistency that we're, we've been hoping to see over an entire season. We're starting to see that from him. Brandon Lau is healthy. And when Brandon Lau is healthy, he hit 39 home runs back in 2021. Yandy Diaz is maybe one of the more unheralded stars, in my opinion. Just the things that he can do at the plate. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't swing at balls and he hits the ball as hard as anybody. He's really, he's really fun to watch the play. And then our players who are kind of more, you know, on the periphery of, of the stardom are really performing well as well. Harold Ramirez is somebody who I don't think gets a lot of credit, but he hit 300 last year. You mentioned Isak Paredes as a young player who has all of the ingredients to be an excellent offensive player. Last year, I think he hit 20 homers in half a season, 300 at bats roughly couple of left-handed hitters that are young guys who haven't really been able to establish themselves. Josh Lowe, Luke Rayleigh. We had high hopes for them coming into the season. Both of them have performed really well in AAA, but they haven't gotten over that hump to perform against big league pitching. They're starting to believe in themselves as much as we believe in them. They're starting to see that they can hit big league pitching. And I think these guys are all feeding off of each other. They look around and they see the success that their teammates are having, and it holds them to that higher standard. They're working maybe a little extra hard. They really want to live up to what everyone else is doing. And they say hitting is contagious, and that's that's what we're seeing. Just to illuminate that start a little bit, that not only is it a 58 run differential, you've scored four times uh, what your opponents have scored, which to me is incredible. I mean, the uh, runs allowed of 18 uh, amazing. I'm going to go off the board for my question here a little bit. I know just a little bit about your background. Joel reminded me that you went to Tufts, which rejected me. Uh, so I, I, I know there are a lot of uh, people who are listening and a lot of people maybe who aren't even listening, but people want to get into baseball. They want to do this job. Um, 
you're obviously very young. You've risen to become general manager. What advice would you get? What path did you take? What advice? I did see on, I looked in Wikipedia. I did do that amount of research. And so you took a sabermetrics class at Tufts. So I didn't know they had a sabermetrics class, but when did it start for you and how did you get there? I did take that sabermetrics class at Tufts. The first year it was offered, I was totally lucky that I was a freshman and they let me into that class. But I mean, I've always been a big baseball fan. I grew up in the mid nineties in Cleveland, watching the those Indians teams with five or six hall of famers. And then right around the time that I uh, was going off to college, that's when the Indians kind of entered their rebuild for the first time. And I started to get more interested in prospects and more interested in team building. Um, the book Moneyball came out that, you know, spurred a whole new wave of statistical analysis and and things like that. But I think I was just really fortunate to be at the right place at the right time where people with my background who hadn't played at a professional level were becoming more accepted as people who could work for the team. And then to land an internship with the Rays in 2009, the year after they made it to the World Series with a small front office. I mean, I've gotten to work with Andrew Friedman, with Heim Bloom, with James Click, with Matt Arnold, with Dan Feinstein, with Mike Kalitri, there's a whole bunch of people I'm sure I'm forgetting, but getting to observe their leadership style, learn from them along the way, be lucky enough to have people like Matt Arnold take me out to minor league games and tell me what he's seeing through his lens, through his experience, to go out and see amateur players in the Florida area because there's a ton of amateur players around here. And just to, to be able to be exposed to all the different parts of the organization throughout my 15 years, I mean, I, I've I, I can't speak enough to how grateful I am to the entire organization that they've put this trust in me. And it's really helped me develop because I feel like I have a well-rounded skill set. I don't feel like there's any one area that I'm really a specialist in. And that plays to my personality and to my strengths. So the advice I would give to people is obviously work hard, obviously be persistent. Those things are almost prerequisites, but also find something that separates yourself. For me, I learned that my ability to communicate, my ability to take complicated concepts and explain them in a way that was easier to understand, that began to open more doors for me. That was kind of something I had a strength at. I tried to improve that strength, tried to help my weaknesses too. But to the extent that you can find something that you separates you from other people, I would say try to lean into that. John didn't do that. That's why he didn't get into Tufts. Even though he's showing off, he's got Moneyball over his right shoulder. One of the books you mentioned there. <laughs> I, I guess those all the books he didn't read on his way into Tufts. Anyway, Peter, if we're uh, just just to wrap it wrap it up here, I think your organization is thought of as kind of front of the line when it comes to analytics, when it comes to sabermetrics, and where it's gone over the last twenty years. But it always feels when I watch your team that there's a real humanity to it, that there's a good feel for players. I wonder how much, well, I think if the outsider might not know that, how much does that matter to you in player procurement and how are you going about figuring out who the the, the players who can excel it in that area? I'm glad you you mentioned that. I'm glad you asked. The, the humanity part of it is everything to us. It's something that Eric Neander, our president of baseball ops, it just preaches every day that these are all people. Our players are people, our coaches are people, our staff are people. Everybody here is a person. They're not a number on a piece of paper. They're not a number in a column somewhere. They're all people. The more that we can treat them as people, the more that we can help them as people, the more that we can win with them as people, 
That's the organization that we want to create. That's the culture that we want to build. So the, who the person is, is really important to us and allowing them to be themselves, putting them into, in the position to succeed. That's going to be, that's secondary. If we can understand them as people, get the right people who get along with each other and have each other's back. Kevin Cash has only a couple of rules. And the only rule that matters is be a good teammate. That's what he says at the beginning of every season. He gets in front of the team. He says there's two rules in the clubhouse. The first is no dogs. The second is be a good teammate. And that is really what matters. And we really do our best, every single one of us every day, to live up to that. The baseball, the on-field part, that's secondary. And that's going to come if we're all good teammates and we have the right group of people. Uh, literally and metaphorically, you have no dogs in your clubhouse. That's why you're 10-0, and 0, uh, Peter Bendix, as we uh, are taping this. And John and I appreciate so much you joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayman. Thanks for having me. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. John, we certainly had two hits in Harold Reynolds and Peter Bendix. We close as we always do with hit or error. Which do you have? Well, I'll say this is an error. I'm, I'm not sure it really fits that category, but, uh, you know, Brian Reynolds and the Pirates, I, I do think that there's a deal to be made. I, I, I feel like from what I gather that he, he likes it in Pittsburgh. I know the fans aren't that thrilled. Sometimes the teams aren't able to sign guys, and I think they've made a decent effort at this, and I hope that they can figure out how to get past this opt-out, and this is the issue still. They've been trying. I think the Pirates have uh, – Moved a little bit. They were at 100 million for seven years, at least moving the money around a bit, maybe off from a no trade. I know that they did try to move the money somewhat, and I know that they're still talking, and it's more of a hope than an error, but I hope they can get past this because the Pirates do need to keep these kind of players in Pittsburgh, and he is a star player, a center fielder with power who can hit. And uh, so I, it's more of a hope than an error, but if they don't get past this, uh, it's an error because they've agreed on the number. Just can't get past that opt-out, which he wants, and I understand why they don't want to give it four years. You know, I never thought that uh, we would have the Pirates twice on hit or error, but and, and I would say this isn't a pure hit or error either, but uh, what a shame. Uh, I'll make it an error. O'Neill Cruz, their young shortstop, who seemed to be making real strides. He, he had walked seven times against eight strikeouts early this year. He was three for three in steals. He was answering some questions if a six foot seven guy could play shortstop. He was playing it well. His game was refining. 
it really, for the Pirates near future, was so important that he get to play the whole season. He fractured his left ankle. He's going to miss four months. Bad for the Pirates, bad for the game. I'll throw in one other injury. Adam Duvall, who got off to such a great start after making a uh, doing a make-good deal one year, I think, at $7 million. He had four home runs. He had over 1,000 OPS. He was playing well in center field. For the Red Sox, he hurt the same left wrist that cost them the back half of last season. He's going to be out for at least several weeks, if not longer. Look, we know, John, injuries are always going to be part of the game. But it's always said, like, both guys have great stories. Uh, Cruz on the way up, Duvall trying to kind of hang on and reprove himself. And I think it's kind of sad that we lose both so early in the season. Yeah, I mean, Duvall, really underrated player, was doing a terrific job. And Cruz, really a dynamic player. I mean, has the ability to be a multi-time all-star, even better than that. And uh, I'm with you, Joel. That was, that was a good choice. Yeah. Well, uh, it's Again, well, I'm sure we'll be dealing with injuries all season. We'll be talking about those, the highs, the lows, hopefully with great guests. If you stick with us, it's the show, a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to our producers, as always, Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz. Don't forget, the show drops on the Yes app Wednesday at about noon. Give us a view. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and stick with us all season on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayden.